Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well, again, friends, good morning and welcome to worship with us here at Eastside. It is a joy each and every week to have the privilege to, to be with you all in, even in this context, in this unique digital arena in which we gather, and this week in which I've pre-recorded because uh, my family is out of town this weekend. But if you are a guest with us, I do want to just note a couple of things. We are in the fourth Sunday of the season of Lent. And if you're not familiar with Lent, it is this 40-day season of spiritual preparation and, and kind of intentionally carved out time that we as followers of the Christ seek to spend with our Creator every day in a way to, to prepare ourselves, but not just to prepare ourselves for Holy Week and Easter, but also just to prepare ourselves in a yearly sort of fashion to encounter God in a new and a fresh way in this particular season of life and specifically in this particular interesting year of 2021. And as the season of Lent has progressed, last Sunday we made a shift into the book of Ecclesiastes and we're going to be spending um, several Sundays in Ecclesiastes, this being the second of those Sundays. And this morning we're going to be reading a text from this ancient Hebrew book that for some of you may be a bit familiar and as I begin to read it, there may be songs that you've heard in the past or maybe has been on, on a greeting card or heard, maybe you've heard it at a funeral or a graduation or some type of religious ritualistic ceremony of passage. But it is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and it is about seasons and it is about time in our lives. So friends, as I read, I invite you to listen for the word of God and to embrace a posture of, of reverence and sacredness as we walk through scripture together. The writer writes, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain have workers from their toil? I've seen the business that God has given to everyone to be busy with. He has made everything suitable for its time. Moreover, God has put a sense of past and future into their minds, yet they cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. 
I know there's nothing better for them than to be happy and enjoy themselves as long as they live. Moreover, it is God's gift that all should eat and drink and take pleasure in all their toil. I know that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken away from it. God has done this so that all should stand in awe before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be already is, and God seeks out what has gone by. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, wickedness was there. In the place of righteousness, wickedness there as well. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for God has appointed a time for every matter, for every work. I said in my heart with regard to human beings that God is testing them to show that they are but animals. For the fate of animals and the fate of humans is the same as one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and humans have no advantage over animals for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust and all turn to dust again. Who knows whether the human spirit goes upwards and the spirit of animals goes downwards to the earth. So I saw that there's nothing better than that all should enjoy their work, for that is their lot. Who can bring them to see what will be after them? Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious creator, God who has been, God who we believe and have faith will always be, we ask that you would break into our present now in these moments. And I ask God that you would take these words that I have prepared and may they be your word for your people in this time, in this week. God, I ask that you would speak through them and were necessary in spite of me. And as I preach them, God, I ask that the words of my mouth and as we listen to them, the collective meditations of all of our hearts would indeed be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God, our rock, God, our redeemer, God, our savior. All of this we pray in the name of the Christ, our Lord. Everyone said or typed, amen. Well, I don't think I'm surprising any of you with the announcement that this past week marked the one-year anniversary of the pandemic. And I'm sure that as you did, I reflected back on the past year and did some reading on what all of it kind of means and looked like. And one of the things that was actually announced a while back, but that, that kind of hit in a, in a fresh way a year later, was the fact that in, in 2020, the life expectancy of an adult in the United States actually dropped by about a year. And as I was reflecting on this in the context of both our text this morning, but also of, of the one-year anniversary of the pandemic, I was reminded of a little exercise that I was invited to do at a, at a ministry conference that I was at uh, a few years ago. And at the conference, we were all given these measuring tapes when we, when we walked in and, and sat down. 
and the leader, they, they gave us this, these instructions, the first of which were, were to take and to, to tear off the top of the tape. I don't remember how, how long it was, but to tear it off to what was then the, the average U.S. life expectancy, which was 78. And then after that, we were to tear our, our own age off of the top. So I was, I think, 35 at the time, so then I tore another 35 inches off of the measuring tape, which left me with 43 inches after that. And then we were asked to, however we wanted to do this, but essentially we had to then de deduct a third from whatever number was left because we're supposed to sleep eight hours a night, and eight is a third of 24, 24 hours in a day. You get the idea. And after I... I took a, a third away from my remaining 43 that left me with about 28 inches of life as it represented the 28 years of my remaining waking days of life, assuming that I lived to the average adult's age, which now is even a year younger, which I guess would have given me 27 inches or years. And, and I share this with a little bit of hesitancy, even preaching on this text with a little bit of hesitancy, this year in particular, this context and season in particular, because I think time for many of us actually is a relatively sensitive subject right now. We have big feelings about time, right? whether it's the feeling that we've lost a lot of time this last year, we've not been able to spend time with people that we love and that we wanted to be with. Maybe we've lost a spouse or a relative or a friend or a family member and we were not able to, able to spend the time we would have wanted to be with them in the end of life. Time is a sensitive subject but also, I think because of this, it, it makes it an appropriate idea to visit, to visit this theme in Ecclesiastes in this famous text because essentially whatever year we want to approach it, however sensitive it may or may not be, it's something that we do all readily wake up to every day and deal with and interact with in some way. We can't avoid the idea and the conversation and our relationship to time. And while it may be the case that we all hope that we can, for the remainder of 2021, spend a whole lot less time paying attention to the CDC and the World Health Organization and our White House, we still need to consider how it is that we relate to this idea. And as I was working through the text this past week, a lot of interesting questions were raised by this particular reading. And I'm just going to kind of warn you up front, we're going to spend most of our time on the first section and then a little bit down to the middle. And we don't have time to deal with all of it, but it is a literary section, which is kind of why we wanted to read all of it, because it all ties back together. But I wanted to know this sort of unanswerable question, which is why did the author write this and, and what was the occasion for writing it? Because it is really poetic, even for the book of Ecclesiastes, it really stands out as, as literature that has this beautiful poetic sense to it. It has this rhythm to it, this, this sort of 
signature um, organization as the words fall. And it makes me wonder, did he, did he or they or she write this for a funeral or for a coronation or for some kind of a graduation or for a wedding or some other rite or ritual in their culture? Or did, did they simply write it to be a part of this, this larger work because they felt like it tied into the thematic ideas that they were trying to hammer home? And if I'm honest, kind of before coming to this passage this week, I've always kind of had a little bit of an aversion to this text for some reason, and it might be because there's some, forgive me, but some sort of cheesy songs that have been written about it. There can sometimes be this, this kind of hallmark graduation card sentimentality to this text. Maybe I have some weird memory of it at a wedding or a funeral or something that I'm not quite sure where it comes from. But I... But I but I had kind of had a, had a standoffish attitude to this passage, but, but I think I've come to appreciate it in a new and a deeper way in this last season. And, and it brought up two kind of big questions for me as I, was, as I was doing a deep dive into it theologically and sort of philosophically and, and, and how all of it relates. And it brings up the question to me, does the author mean to imply in, in, in the opening section that all things take place for a reason and for a purpose? Or is the author simply stating that, that, that everything that takes place has a season, but that nothing in this iteration of existence lasts forever? So is he trying to say that, that when, he, when he speaks of there being a time to love and a time to hate, a time for peace and a time for war, is he saying that all of these realities have specific purpose and that they're supposed to be, or is he saying they all are and all of them are seasonal? None of them are going to last forever. Because I don't know about you, but I'm really uncomfortable with the idea that that we would have to affirm that all of the things that are listed in, in, in this poetic piece of literature are, are sort of ordained by God or that are supposed to be there or that are part of some larger plan that must take place. What I, what I am comfortable with is saying, because this is just simply observing the life around us and the world in which we live, I am comfortable saying these are all realities love, war, peace, hatred, dancing, mourning, birth, death. These are all realities that we interact with in our lives. And that's just true without a value judgment on them necessarily right now, but they're just all realities and none of them are forever. None of them in the way that we experience them right now are forever. If that's what he's saying, I'm much more comfortable with it. Because, again, the list lists really real stuff and really scary stuff like war, like the need in some sense to kill, hatred, and Christ certainly never affirms war, violence, or hatred. And 
And I say this because I think that sometimes texts like these can, can lead us to say, or, or to, to some of the cultural, religious sayings that we've come into contact with, things where, where people say stuff like, everything happens in time for a reason. Or, or people say that, you know, everything is a part of God's plan, even if we don't understand it. But I don't, I don't think that is what the point of of this section is in Ecclesiastes. I don't think that the, the, the author is stating that because these things are realities, they must be realities, and that they're God-ordained realities. I think it's more naming the reality of life, of the world in which we live, which is a world that has some of the most wonderful realities of birth and marriage and love and dancing and some of the aforementioned terrible ones of hatred and war. But the point, the undergirding, overlying, through-line idea being that it's all seasonal. None of it in this experience of life lasts indefinitely forever for the rest of any of our lives. I don't believe in a world where God ever plans for or works into God's divine cosmic plan for horrific things to take place. That would be out of character with the God of love and the God of creation that we encounter in scripture. That would be out of character with a God who exemplifies a better parent than any of us could ever imagine to intentionally work horrific human behavior or um, unnatural disaster into some kind of cosmic plan. That's not the God that I believe in, and that's not the God that I walk with in my daily life, and I don't believe it's the God that the Christ teaches. But I do think we live in a world, as the author in Ecclesiastes says, where horrific things do take place, where human stubbornness and human narcissistic selfishness has, has been so influential in throwing things off course from the way the creator intended that now we're watching global or experiencing global climate change. All of us little human beings have so much influence that we have collectively and are collectively changing the environment of our planet. And people say that we don't have any impact, but we do especially when we all walk, lock, and step in one direction. Our weather is case in point. But that doesn't mean that global warming or environmental change is, is what God desired or God even desires. It also doesn't mean that God's not actively involved in working with humanity and seeking to work around the, the choices and the wrong directions that we have made. I believe God is. I believe God never gives up actively working in, with, and around human beings, regardless of how off course we may find ourselves collectively or as individuals. We're always in the purview of our divine parent. And God is always seeking to work with us and together with us for the goodness of our lives and the goodness of the collective lives of the human race. 
But this idea that everything that happens happens for some kind of divine reason or because God ordained it to be so or that it had to be so in the grander plan that God has that we can't understand, that I'm, I'm not on board with and I don't believe. I believe that things happen that God prefers or wishes or never desired to have happened. And the point of this text is that this life we live is seasonal, friends. The experiences we have are seasonal. And depending on where you find yourself this morning and where you're, you are in your experience of life, that might be really, really good news. Depending on where you are in life, the idea that everything in this life is in a sense seasonal might be kind of scary news or anxiety inducing. Some of us are in really hard places and we've been asking and praying and begging maybe God, the universe, anyone who will listen, can I please change seasons to the next whatever? And, and others maybe are actually pretty happy where they're at in life and in the season that they find themselves in and are, are anxious about the idea of change, about the temporality of, of whatever maybe goodness is taking place in the world right now. So for some, this, this, this message of Ecclesiastes 3 might be really, really good news because it might mean that whatever suffering or angst or pain or oppression that's being experienced right now by you or by others on this planet, it's not forever and it has a time limit. It's season. But for others, it's a reminder and, 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 and a poignant one at that that Appreciate the goodness that you're experiencing in your life. Appreciate the depth and the richness and the moments. Don't let them just pass you by and then assume that every other season of your life is going to just build on that and get better and better and better and mirror that more and more and more because it may not. It's not necessarily how life is for everyone. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says the one thing you can count on, though, is that change is, is very consistent. You can count on change. You can count on what you experienced in elementary school being very, very different from your life as a middle-aged adult or as an elderly person. Things don't stay the same. The good comes and we experience it. The bad comes and we experience it. Which, which begs the question, if, if the good and the bad that we experience in life, if these things aren't necessarily like all ordained by God for some big ornate purpose, if, if some bad things are just that, bad things that we experience, and some good things that we experience are, are just really lovely fortune and, and just things to be grateful for, then what does that ask of us? What does a text like this ask of us as human beings who, who believe in a good and a gracious God, who are seeking to follow in the way of the Christ, and who also believe that the world is in a sense not completely prefixed or pre-written or preordained by God, but that, is, but that is open and unfolding in real time with the, with the decisions and the lives that human beings choose to lead. What does that mean? What does that mean that 
that that particular fruit tree this year just happened to grow way more apples than it did last year for no, no doing of any human being. It just, it just got pollinated way better and it grew a bumper crop of apples. And the year before, it barely grew anything. Like, what do you do with that kind of, of experience? And obviously, you can make that as intense as you want with examples and as, as much lighter as the example of a fruit tree. And I take my cue from Jesus, who talked about fruit trees. But I couldn't help but, but think about all of this without thinking of our Buddhist friends and their teachings on, on the idea and the relationship between suffering in human life, suffering and attachment. And as I was studying Ecclesiastes, it all was kind of making a lot of sense to me, this, this relationship between suffering and attaching, because the, the Buddhists essentially say that, that much of the suffering that we experience in our lives, and I'm not a Buddhist expert by any stretch of the imagination, but... My understanding is that much of the experience of suffering we have in our lives is because we have gotten attached to a season that was seasonal. And because of that, as that season has passed, we've grieved and mourned its, its passing in the loss. And instead of redirecting to now be fully present with what is now, we're still focused on the season that's passed. It's almost like hitching your wagon to something ethereal or ephemeral that you can't actually hitch your wagon to. So when it leaves you behind, what, what happens? You feel left and abandoned by that reality in your life that was really good for a season. And part of the problem is that what we do is sometimes we can, we can hold or we grasp at things that aren't meant to be held or grasped, but that are meant to be, be held, right? Instead of grasping into holding on to certain realities in our lives, they're meant to be open-handedly be held and experienced and loved, and when it's time, to let them move on to the next season. I, I think an easy example of this is with our... Our first child's kindergarten teacher, she was just, she was the quintessential amazing kindergarten teacher. And we absolutely just loved her. And so did our, our son. And we hoped and hoped that our other two children would ultimately get the same kindergarten teacher. And our second child did not. And then our third child didn't really even go to kindergarten until this last week. So things change, right? And our expectations and our attachments. And that teacher doesn't even, exclu doesn't even have a kindergarten class anymore because she's been moved to another, uh, another type of teaching in the broader school. And that's life. And that's hard sometimes because we get attached to things and we know what we think we want. And then when we don't get it, we get really disappointed. But the Buddhists say that's attachment and that creates suffering. And sometimes what we have to do is discipline ourselves to see all of life as a season. And part of what we do is appreciate that which is right here in front of us, even if it's not what we prefer. And that's hard. But that is a, a muscle that can be strengthened through practice and through intention. 
Our planet has been in a really unexpected and challenging season now for over a year, and collectively, we're, we're so ready for this season to end. With the one-year anniversary behind us and the vaccine heading out into the masses, we're just ready for a new season. But with that new season, we don't, we don't know what that's going to look like, and for some, that might even create some anxiety because they've gotten used to what has been this past year. But I appreciate where the author eventually takes us in verses 16 and 17. And I think this is where he makes the case that just because something is doesn't mean it is as God wants it to be. He writes, Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, wickedness was there. In the place of righteousness, wickedness was there. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for God has appointed a time for every matter and for every work. See, the author gets at the bigger point right here. He acknowledges that the world's kind of messed up and that the will of God has not been imbued and saturated and made known and real in all of creation. He notes it, he says, in the place of justice, there's wickedness. In the place of rightness, righteousness, right action, goodness, there is wickedness. And that's not okay. But what he says is, and God, and who God is, at some point in, in the future, God's not gonna let that arrangement be forever. He's basically saying that this season that the world is in where where injustice kind of stands next to justice depending on where you might be standing and inequality stands next to equality depending on where you find yourself and what socioeconomic or national or ethnic origin you find yourself in. Yes, the world is not fair right now and that's not okay and it's wicked and it's unrighteous and God's not okay with it either but we don't, we don't know exactly when and how all of that's going to be remedied, but we as a people of faith, as a people who follow after the Christ, the resurrected one, we together hold as a core tenet of our faith this conviction that the world as it is is beautiful and it is mixed with brokenness and wickedness and imperfection. And God loves this world and God is frustrated with this world, and that God is in real time using people who are willing to make micro changes and shifts within this world, this planet, to make things a little bit more in sync and in line with the love of God and the will of God. And that someday there's going to be this eclipse of God's goodness and God's creative power and the, the wickedness and the injustice and the inequality, they're, they're not going to have a day any longer within our, play, with, within our lives and our planet. It's all a season right now. And that can create anxiety at some point for people in some ways. It can create passivity in some in some ways, because sometimes people hear that and they say, well, if it's just a season, then I gotta wait it out for the next better season. But that'd be a lot like a parent saying, in the winter, in like Indiana, where I'm from, and seeing their child out in the cold in a t-shirt, 
without a coat on, well, my, my, you know, it's the season of winter. They're just going to have to wait it out until summer gets here. Well, they're going to die of hypothermia before that. So you can't necessarily just wait out every season. Every season that we're in, and here's where this whole idea of mindfulness and attentiveness and meditation and centering ourselves and our lives matters because it means that we're orienting ourselves to whatever season we're in. And we're asking ourselves questions as followers of the Christ to say, this is a hard season, how is, how is Jesus asking me to respond and to live into that? This is a good season, how do I experience and live and share joy and gratitude with the people around me? If this is a season that I have some control and change over so that I can make it a better season for other people, I, how can I go do that? It's not a call to passivity to say that this world is seasonal it's a call to say, pay attention to what season you're in. Don't get too attached to any one season and always be aware and mindful of what's in front of you and asking the question, what does faithfulness to the Christ and the way of God and life in the world look like right now, today? Because friends, if you choose, the time can be now, the time can be today to go out and make whatever micro change God is calling and leading each and every one of us too in our lives. So may it be so. Go make it be true. Amen. Well, we hope that you've enjoyed this week's message and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, you can visit our website, www.eastsideatl.org and find our giving portal there.